Praise the Lord, everyone. Amen. Let's all stand together. Let's lift our hands, worship God, and thank him here this morning. Jesus, we love you, Lord. We thank you for your blessings, your goodness, your presence, your power, your spirit. We ask you, Lord, to bless each and every one of us here this morning. Touch us with your love and your grace, your goodness, your kindness, your mercy. We ask you to bless the word of God to our hearts, God, as we look into it here this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Shake hands with those that are around you. God bless you. We're happy for all of you that are with us today. going to continue teaching here on uh, the second coming of Christ and what I'm going to deal with here today is the various uh, aspects and facts about Jesus' second coming and I want to share some things with you here this morning and uh, if you have your Bibles I'm going to start with a few things that I know we're familiar with and then probably go into some areas that possibly um, a sort of, sort of, uh, what do they call it, uh, put things together for us. And uh, I want you to turn with me, if you would, please, to uh, John 14, 2. This is a very familiar scripture with us, and I'm very much aware of it. I know this is nothing new that I'm giving you right here, uh, but I want to sort of tie some, uh, tie some uh, knots together here for us. If you look here in John 14, 2, these are the words of Jesus whenever he had pretty well quit doing his ministry among the Pharisees, Sadducees, and the public in general. And uh, he was more ministering to his disciples, those that were real close, knowing that his time was coming to an end as, a, as his ministry on this earth. So here's what he says in 14, 2. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. I hope that you've got that underlined in your Bible. I go to prepare a place for you. Uh, there's a place that God has for us. And uh, it's stated right here very clearly. Verse 3, and, it, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. And if you've got that scripture, that part underlined, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there ye may be also. So Jesus let them know that uh, I'm going to go away. I'm going to go prepare a place. And when I go, I will come again. And of course, we're talking about the second coming of Christ. We've already talked to you about the first coming of Christ when he came and he was rejected by the, uh, the generation of his time, the Jewish generation. They rejected him as the Messiah. And he came just like he, he came as a man. He was, he was born a man on this, in this earth, born a Mary, as you well know. And uh, he came as a man, and he suffered in all points like as of we and everything. And then just before he was to leave, he starts talking to his disciples, I'm going to go away now. Finally, uh, I'm going to read another scripture here in the book of Acts. These are, again, scriptures you're familiar with. I'm aware of that. Uh, chapter 1 and verse 9, this is when Jesus had spoken to them about going back into Jerusalem and waiting there until the Holy Ghost was poured out upon them. The Holy Ghost had not yet been given unto them. 
And he said, now you want you to go back and wait. And so this is what happened right after he said, go back and tarry in Jerusalem until you be endued with the power from on high. Verse 9. This is 1-9 of the book of Acts. And when he had spoken these words while they beheld, he was taken up, taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel. And uh, if you want to write it in your Bibles, there are angels. These were angels, no question about it. And verse 11, which also said, ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? The same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, the same one, shall so come in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. In other words, as he went away, so he will come again. And that's the way he's going to come back. That's what he's saying. That's the way he's going to come back. Now, Jesus warned his disciples in his teachings be, care, be, 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 uh, be careful and be aware that there will be false Christs and false Jesuses and false prophets and false everything that will come along and try to persuade you that I am this and I am that, I am that. And Jesus said, no, no, when, you, when he comes, he's going to come from the sky. Praise the Lord. As you see him when it go away, so shall he come again in light manner. And I've told you this story before about when we were in the old church down there and I was down there by myself one day either studying or cleaning the church or doing something right by myself. And this guy came along in a bathrobe and flip-flops. And, uh, and he said, and it was, in fact, there was two of them. And one of them was sort of the mouthpiece for the two of them. And I said, hey, hello, you guys. They came in the front door of the church. It was unlocked and everything. Said, hey, good to see you and everything. I noticed how they were dressed. They said, we're Moses and Elijah. <laughs> I said, I'm glad to meet you. I'm doubting Thomas. I've, I've told you that before, you know. I said that. I said, I'm doubting Thomas. That's not original with me. I heard that from uh, old brother Bibbs, the district superintendent of Indiana, years ago. He told somebody that. And I thought, this works here. And I told him that. I said, I'm doubting Thomas. And I said, oh, you don't believe it? I said, no, I'm sorry. I really don't. And I said, can I help you? Well, we just want to come by and let you know that we, uh, I said, yeah, well, uh, nice meeting you guys. Take care of yourself. Be careful out there, you know. <laughs> and I sent them on their way, you know. Well, because I don't believe that. And you don't believe, you wouldn't believe that. If somebody came along here, you wouldn't believe it. Because Jesus already said that the angels, when you, as you see them go away, so shall he come in like manner. Praise the Lord. So we know that Jesus is coming back in that fashion. Now, here's another interesting thing about Jesus when he ascended, not when he was resurrected. Now, when he resurrected, he had a resurrected body, and he could appear in a building and disappear. He could show up. He could just be come and go. But that's not the glorified body that he eventually had. Now, his body was later glorified. I'll talk to you a little bit about that. But I want to show you here John 7, 38. If you'll turn in your Bibles to John 7, 38. And we're talking about the various aspects here, or the various facts about the second coming of Christ. So if you look in uh, John 7, 38, and read 38 and 39, and this is actually a reference to the baptism of the Holy Ghost, coming of the Holy Ghost, but it mentions this part about his glorification. Verse 38, he that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. We all know that to be the baptism of the Spirit of God. Then verse 39 says this, and notice that it's in brackets because it's sort of a side note. 
to what he just said in verse 38. 39, but this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. One little statement here, everybody should receive the Holy Ghost, should receive. Now, some people say, yeah, I want to be saved, but I don't want the Holy Ghost, or I don't believe you have to have the Holy Ghost, or I'm not interested in the Holy Ghost. No, no, the Bible says that you should receive, praise the Lord. So if you don't have the baptism of the Holy Ghost, you should receive it. Amen. Ask God for it. Ask God with all your heart that you want it more than anything in the world. He'll give it to you because he promised that he would. Now look at verse 39 again. But this spake he of the spirit that they which believe on him should receive. Look at the next phrase now. This is where I'm going. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given because that Jesus was not yet glorified. All right. So Jesus was glorified when he ascended. That's why he told those Disciples, go you back in Jerusalem and tarry until you be doing due on high. Then he went up. So when he went up, Jesus was glorified. This is whenever he was glorified, his body was glorified. It was after that that the baptism of the Holy Ghost was poured out. And of course, if we were reading in Acts chapter 1, when we read about the angels appearing to them and said, you know, uh, go back to Jerusalem. And then Jesus went up in the midst of them. And then in chapter 2 of the book of Acts, it talks about the Holy Ghost being poured out upon them and so forth. You, you know that, and I don't, I'm not going to uh, elaborate on that part of it. But what I am pointing out to you here is that there is a glorification factor involved here when Jesus went up, that he was glorified, and, uh, and he, he, his body and his appearance was different. This is very important because this has to do with us. And I'm going to point out some things to you here. I want you to look in Acts chapter 26 and 12. This is how the glorified body of Jesus appeared. This is Paul talking about his conversion. And he was talking, this is uh, Acts 26, 12. You want to go with us to that verse of scripture. This is when Paul was speaking to King Agrippa. Agrippa was one of the sons of Herod the Great. And uh, they, uh, Herod the Great was the king over Palestine when Jesus was, was born. You well know that. And then after his death, his sons and so forth. And finally, the, the, the uh, Palestine was divided up in about three different parts. And so Agrippa was over one of them. And that part that he was over was around Caesarea. And this is also where the governor of, uh, from Rome was there, sort of a somebody to make sure everything was kept in order according to the Roman requirements and so forth. I won't go into detail on that. But here's what he was saying. They, they, and what happened here was that uh, this Agrippa came to see uh, this uh, Festus. And Festus says, you know, we got a guy here that's one of your prison, one of your guys, and he's in jail here. And, uh, and he said, I'd like for you to hear, to hear what he's got to say. And so Paul begins to witness to him about Jesus Christ. And uh, so I'm going to read the part here that he tells about his experience, his own personal experience. Paul, Paul said, I was a Pharisee, man, I was a Pharisee to the hilt, man, I was really on target. I even persecuted the Christians. And then he goes on to say in verse 12, whereupon as I went to Damascus with authority and commission from the chief priests at midday, O king. I saw in the way a light from heaven above the brightness of the sun. Did everybody see that? 
underline that above the brightness of the sun in other words i saw a light shining upon me above that means more than the brightness of the sun round about me and them which journeyed with me those that were with him on the they were on they were traveling verse 14 and when we were all fallen to the earth i heard a voice speaking unto me and saying in a hebrew tongue saul saul why persecutest thou me it is hard for thee to kick against the pricks and i said who art thou lord and he said i am jesus whom thou persecutest so what paul saw with jesus was him in a glorified body brighter than the noonday sun he said well brother Byers, that sounds pretty good but i mean you know how to that's just one experience let me give you another scripture look over in revelations chapter one with me for a moment i'm talking here about the various aspects of the coming of the lord and i'm talking right now about jesus having a glorified body a glorified body and what it's like what it's like revelations 1 and this is 10 this is when john was on the isle of patmos and the lord appeared to him and this is what it says in verse 10 i was in the spirit on the lord's day the lord's day incidentally is sunday it's always called the lord's day in the bible after jesus resurrection and the early church always worshiped on the lord's day which was the first day of the week because Jesus rose the first day of the week, which was Sunday. I'll leave that for whatever it's worth. Amen. The word Sabbath means rest. So if you want to take Saturday to do your resting, but when you come to church, don't rest, worship. This is a day of worship. Amen. First day of the week, Sunday, the Lord's day is a day of worship, not a day of rest. I guarantee you, you folks that come to church twice a day, amen, and you come to church and you really worship the Lord, the Lord, that's not just, it's a rest in the soul, but it's not a rest physically like they had in the Old Testament, friends. So it's not a Sabbath as so much as it's a, a day of worship. Let me go ahead and finish reading here, this uh, <clears throat> 10th verse. I was in the spirit of the Lord's day and heard behind me a voice as of a trumpet, Notice the word trumpet here. It means it's different than just a human voice. Saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. Now, I'm not going to read all the other scriptures here because they all talk about it being Jesus. But let me just get down to verse 16. And he, sa and he had in his right hand seven stars. And I'll, excuse me. <coughs> and he had in his right hand seven stars. And out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. And his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. Everybody see that? His countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. In other words, the full effect of the sun is how bright Jesus was when he appeared unto John. So, unto uh, Paul on the road to Damascus, he was brighter than the noonday sun. And then whenever he appeared to uh, John here on the Isle of Patmos, he was so bright, and uh, the very next verse every day says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. In other words, the brightness of the Lord and his appearance was so great that he fell at his feet as a dead man. Now, this was because Jesus was in his glorified state. In other words, he was in a resurrected body for 40 days on the earth. But when he ascended into heaven, <clears throat> then he was glorified. And Jesus is glorified to this very day. He has a glorified body. 
He had a body like as in our body. Our body was like, it was, is like unto his glorified, his body when he was on this earth. But after the resurrection, <clears throat> Jesus had a glorified body. Praise the Lord. So it's very important for us to understand here the, uh, the effects and the appearance and how it is to have a glorified body. So uh, <clears throat> when Jesus returns, how does that affect us? All right. I want you to look in Philippians 3.20 with me. Philippians 3.20. I'm talking here about the various aspects of the coming of the Lord, the various uh, factors involved. Now, this is what Paul says to the Philippians here in chapter 3, verse 20 and 21. For our conversation is in heaven from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus. All right, he's staying here. We're looking for the Lord to come back in heaven. All right, looking for him to come back. Just like the angel said, see him go away, so shall he come in like manner. Paul is saying here, and so we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 21, who shall change our vile body? Everybody see that? He'll change our body. In other words, folks, when Jesus comes back, he's not just come walking down the street and he's not going to even come out of heaven and sit down and go around and shake hands with all of us and say, hey, how are you doing, Joe, Willie, you know, Susie? Just, you know, glad to see you. And we're still in this, this earthly body. It won't be like that. This is what he is saying here. Who shall change, that is when he comes back in return, we're looking for him, who shall change our vile body that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body. So this scripture is telling us that we'll have a body like as unto his glorious body. That's what the change is going to be like. The coming of the Lord is not just the Lord coming back to be with us on this earth, but his coming back, praise the Lord, is affecting us. It'll change us. Praise the Lord. There'll be a change. Let me give you another verse of scripture here. Uh, if you will, look in, uh, look in 1 John 3, 2. 1 John 3, 2. Let me get to it myself. All right. It says here, John is speaking here. This is first, not St. John, but 1 John. 1 John 3, 2. The Apostle John speaking here says, Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. In other words, Paul, when he saw Jesus, is brighter than you. In fact, Paul was blinded for three days. He had to be prayed for for his for the scales to fall for his eyes for his for his sight to come back to him, and uh, that happened whenever he was converted. And we all know that. But I'm pointing out to you here the effects of the brightness of Jesus in a glorified body. Now, when the rapture takes place, we're going to be glorified, and we'll be like Him, for we shall see Him. And you can't look upon Him unless you can be like Him. So he's, going to, he's saying here, you'll have a glorified body like Jesus has right now. That's what we will have when Jesus comes back. So he'll come back, praise the Lord, and he'll split the eastern skies, or come back for his church and his people. I'm going to read this verse again to you, 3-2. 
Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Praise the Lord. Uh, I just want to just tell you here that these scriptures here give us a wonderful hope. Now, the amazing thing about it, this is all prophesied as well in the Old Testament. Look over in Psalms for a moment. Psalm 17, 15. The psalmist, the Bible speaks in the Bible about how the psalmist has much prophecy, and it does. Psalms 17, 15. Psalm 17, 15. This is the psalmist writing here. And this is a, a prayer of David, actually. David was a, a king, but he was also a prophet, which means he prophesied of things yet to come. Verse 15 here, 17, 15 of Psalms. As for me, I will behold thy face in righteousness. I shall be satisfied when I awake with thy likeness, thy likeness. In other words, however you will be, that's the way I will be. Praise the Lord. So what I've done here is give you some scriptures here concerning how that it will affect us and how that we'll be like Christ. And uh, we'll have a glorified body like as unto his glorified body. Praise God. Let me give you another verse of scripture here. Look in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. This is the resurrection chapter. The resurrection chapter. 1 Corinthians 15. We're talking about the various aspects of the coming of the Lord. He, he went away. He's coming back. And he was glorified when he went away. And when he comes back, we will see him, and therefore we will be glorified as well. And all these scriptures here point to that. I'm reading here in from 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 49. And as we have borne the image of the earthly, that's us, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. So just as we have been earthly, we will be heavenly. However, Jesus is because Jesus went away to heaven. He said, I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, there you may be also. So when Jesus comes back, he's coming back for his church to take us to that place wherever he has prepared for us. The Bible over in the book of Revelation talks about the holy city. We won't go into detail on that, but there's a place. And amen. I heard a preacher preach one time a wonderful message. There is a place. Amen. That was his message. There is a place. And he preached about heaven. Praise the Lord. Folks, there is a place. Hallelujah. And the Lord's going to change us and we'll have a glorified body. And just as we have borne the image of the earthly, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly as well. Praise the Lord. And First uh, Thessalonians uh, speaks of that as well, too. I uh, won't take a lot of time with this. But in 1 Thessalonians, I think most of us know it, 4.16. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven. This is 4.16 of 1 Thessalonians. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God. The dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so, that is in this fashion, with the Lord there, up in the air, skies, wherever, heaven, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. So all of these scriptures here are to let us know that the Lord, praise the Lord, is coming back, and he's coming back for his people, he's coming back for his church, he's coming back for those that love him. Now, I'm going to pass out some handouts to you at this time, and uh, I want you to, uh, Brother... Mason, if you will, you ushers, if you would, if you come at this time. 
And uh, give me one of those copies. I think I'm going to need one here myself. Yeah, thank you. Just one. This is what you're, what is being handed out to you. And uh, I think that's going to be right. And let's get a focus on you. Go ahead and get those handed out, and I'll get this all straightened out here, I think. <laughs> right. Now, you may not see this, and I'm aware of that. You may not be able to read it, but what you have in your hand is what's on the screen here. You understand? And so I'll point to a certain number, like one, two, three, three, four, like that. And then uh, you can know what area that we are looking at here. We'll start with number one here. And uh, you to keep this, this is for your own hand. Why the rapture will be a pre-tribulation event. And I say that because a lot of people want to believe that the church is going to go through the tribulation. It's what they call pre-tribulation believers. That's what we are. Then there is the mid-trib, mid-trib, they call it. They use the word trib in abbreviations. Mid-tribulation believers who believe that the rapture will happen in the middle of the tribulation. And then there are those who call post-tribulation that's those at the end of the tribulation, post-trib believers. Uh, there's a lady that comes here in the summertime. She's, a, uh, she's an Air Force uh, officer, I think it is. She's stationed right now in Illinois. And uh, when she was here before, very quietly without anyone knowing hardly who she was, she was here in the service here for a month or so. And man, she asked me all kinds of questions, wrote me letters, all kinds of questions, questions that I could not answer quickly and easily. And she is now uh, stationed in Illinois. And uh, she said she's going to be back this summer. But uh, she, she wrote, I mean, she, she had pages of questions, 16 different questions. And some of them are questions that are hard to answer. Now, I'm not going to get into this right now, but I'm working on a series of what's called hard scriptures. And I'm quoting here are hard answers. I'm quoting here from what Paul, what uh, Peter said about some of the scriptures in the Bible. The hard to be understood. That's the phrase the Bible uses, hard to be understood. And I'm working and I'm going to talk to you about some of those things. Some of them have got a very quick and easy answer. Some of them are very extensive and I'm looking forward to being able to talk to you about it. And she asked me a whole bunch of those things, too. And I said, yeah, it's going to take some time to explain all these kind of things and so forth. But uh, anyhow, she's watching. She says she's watching the Internet. I uh, just want to let her know that she has asked me, is the tribulation, is, is the rapture going to be before the tribulation or in the middle of the tribulation or after the tribulation? And she's heard all kinds of different stories and so forth. It's hard to try to refute that and answer this. So what I'm going to give you, this is one that gives us some reasons why I believe that the rapture will be the very next major event. So if you look at number one, this is where my pen's pointed to up here, and you should have your handouts in your hand. Number one, the scriptures teach that the church is not appointed to wrath, not appointed to wrath. Now, let me give you a couple of scriptures for that, and then I'm going to show you what the tribulation period is. So if you look with us here in uh, 
1 Thessalonians chapter 5. You are just there in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 16. Uh, now, if you look in 1 Thessalonians 5, 9, 1 Thessalonians 5, 9, this is the very next chapter, just several verses beyond that first one that we just talked about. If you look at verse 9, for God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. So God has not appointed us to wrath. I'll bring out the word wrath here in a few moments. Uh, along with that verse of scripture here that we're looking at here, if you look back in the same chapter of 1 Thessalonians to chapter 1, verse 10, and that's the very next verse that you have on your page there, 1.10, and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. So the Bible talks about us being delivered from wrath, delivered from wrath. Let me give you one of the scriptures here about this wrath thing. If you look also in Romans 5, 9, Romans 5, 9. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. So notice here, there's three scriptures. About the Bible says in the mouth of two or three scriptures, let every word be established. I've given you three here at least. There's more, I'm sure, uh, that we are saved from wrath. Now you say, Brother Myers, are you talking about the tribulation period? Yes. So I want you to go to Revelation chapter 6 with us and look at the very last verse. I think it's verse uh, 17, and that's in your notes there. That's toward the the end of one, the way over to the end there. Revelations six seventeen. if you look at that verse of Scripture with us. <clears throat> and when you read the sixth chapter, it's the beginning of what we call the tribulation period. It talks about the four horses of the apocalypse and how they begin to ride, and there's the first white horse, and there's the red horse, and the red horse means war. This is actually a symbolic description of events that begin to happen on the earth. Bang, 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 bang. And it goes right on down the line. And uh, it says here, finally, in the end of chapter 6, uh, chapter 6 is verse 17. For the great day of his wrath is come, and who shall be able to stand? And so when you just, when you get to the end of just the very sixth chapter, not counting 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, right on through the Bible, through Revelation. But even the beginning of it, it says that the great day of his wrath is come. Now, let me give you a, a little hint. Back up in chapter 6, now go back up to verse 12. You're in Revelation 6. Look at verse 12 here. I beheld when he had opened the sixth seal, and lo, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became as blood. Verse 13, and the stars of heaven fell unto the earth, even as a fig tree casteth her untimely figs when she is shaken of a mighty wind. That's, this, this is what's being described as happening now in this time of wrath. Look at verse, uh, verse 14. And the heavens departed as a scroll when it is rolled together, and every mountain and island were moved out of their places. Everybody get the picture here? Now, this is a very terrible situation that is being described here in chapter 6 and then when if, and then the two verses down in verse 17 the 3 2 it says for the great day of his wrath is coming who shall be able to stand so what we have done is shown you scriptures 
by showing you here why the rapture will be a pre-tribulation event is that the, the church is not appointed unto the wrath of God. Now, does that mean that we don't ever suffer anything? No. The Bible says that we do suffer persecution, and we are not exempt from persecution. And before Jesus comes back, we may suffer some persecution. Understand that. But the wrath of God is whenever God begins to let things begin to happen on this earth, in the earth, and in the heavens here, to let us know that we are in a very terrible time. And so while it is still day, let us worship God, call upon the Lord, and serve God. Praise the Lord. And Jesus will come at a time that we think not. And that brings us then to part two. Look at verse, look at number two here on your notes. The days prior to the coming of, Christ, of the Lord are described by Jesus as being similar to Noah's day prior to the flood. Everybody see that in your notes? They were eating, I'm just, and this is quoting here, they were eating, drinking, marrying, and giving in marriage. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew 24, 38. Matthew 24, 38. This is a description of these things. We're talking about just plain old logic here. This is the Word of God. This is Jesus' teachings here. I'm going to read verse 37 and look very closely here with us. This is, this is Matthew 24, 37. But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying, and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark. So it was like everyday type days. That does not line up with what we read, just read over here in the book of Revelation, where it talked about, uh, where it talked about the stars of heaven fell to the earth, and which is, which were meteorites, incidentally, there will be. Uh, the, the, when she's shaking the mighty wind, the heavens disparted as a scroll, the mountains and islands were moved out of their midst. It's, it's not that. It's like everyday life goes on. So this is what it says. For as the days of Noah, I'm reading verse 38 again, were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark and knew not until the flood came and took them all away. So shall also the coming of the son of man be. Amen. Look at the next verses, verse 40. Then shall be two be in the field, the one shall be taken, the other left. The field means they're working. See that? Two women shall be grinding at the mill, the one shall be taken, the other left. That means it's in the morning. The first one describes in the middle of the day, the other describes the middle of the morning, or first thing in the morning. It says here, two women shall be grinding in the mill, one left, and the other taken. Uh, another place it talks about uh, two shall be in the bed, one shall be taken, one shall be left, middle of the night. So, when is the Lord coming? Is he coming in the morning? Is he coming? It depends on where you're living on the earth. Because when he comes, and the early church people had a hard time understanding this, because they didn't even know the world was around. You understand what I'm saying? And yet the Bible is right, even way back then when man did not understand how the Bible, how the Bible, how it could possibly be that way. If he's going to come in the morning, how can he also come in the middle of the day? If he comes in the middle of the day, how can he also be the middle of the night? People don't sleep in the middle of the day, in the middle of the day. They don't, they're not sleeping, you know, in the bed, one taking one left. 
I mean, I know there's sick people and things like that, but I'm talking about normal. <clears throat> so, but when we understand now, today, when the Lord comes, he will circle the earth. Praise the Lord. And whatever part of the world you're in, it'll be that time of the day, and you'll be called away to meet the Lord in the air. Praise the Lord. So as it was in the days of Noah, they were eating, drinking, and all of a sudden it just happens. Praise God. Let me give you another verse of Scripture to go with that. This is one that's found in, uh, over in the book of uh, Luke. Uh, it's about concerning a lot, and we mentioned that also. Um, I mentioned about Matthew here in 24. This doesn't fit the description of the tribulation period. I'm reading that number two paragraph here. Look in the middle of that paragraph. I'm finished reading it. Number two here. The days of Lot prior to God's destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. They did eat, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, and they built it. Again, this doesn't fit the description of the tribulation period if the rapture takes place during or after that time. All right, so when you read over here in Luke uh, chapter 17, verse 28, likewise also as it was in the days of Lot, they did eat, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they builded. But the same day, same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even thus also shall it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. Now, I'm just pointing out to you here that this is why we believe that the rapture will be a pre-tribulation event, because it'll be just like an everyday day. Folks, it'll be like it is now. The Bible says that it'll be a time that you know not when the Lord will come. The Lord can come any time. The Lord can come any time. There's nothing right now that prevents the Lord from coming. That's why that those apostles even believe that he could have come in their time, because nobody knows when he's coming. Therefore, they said the Lord can come at any time. So he can come now. Praise the Lord. And we know that it's definitely time for him to come now. Because Hosea 6, 2 says, after two days, will he revive his people? Speaking of Israel, will he revive his people? And when he revives his people, they're God's time clock on this earth. That is the Jewish people on the earth. And whenever he begins to bring them back to Palestine and begins to reestablish them, it's getting close to the time when the Lord says the time of the Gentiles is up and he'll take his church out of here. Praise God. Let me move on here. I got a few other things here I want to show you and share with you. Um, I want you to look at part three here. I'm just going to refer to some events here. And I've talked about this before, and this is nothing new to you. But for you, that may not have happened. Look at A, B, and C. Uh, I'm going to read that from, from uh, number three. The obvious lesson taught here by Jesus is that God delivers his people before he unleashes judgment on a place. Before. And then here's some examples. Not during or after. Examples of these are. And here's some examples here. The Christians who left Jerusalem. And they, in brackets here, in obedience to the words of Jesus in Luke 21, 20 to 22, where he's talked about the prior of the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD. The Lord said, when you see all these things begin to come to pass, then look up for your redemption. Or not, or I didn't say look up, but he says, leave the place. Don't go back. If you're out in the field, don't go back home. If you're on the rooftop, don't go back inside. Just leave. Get out of here when you see certain things to happen. I'm going to talk to you one day here. I've got eight things, eight things I'm going to talk to you about. One of the things I'm going to talk to you about is the, uh, the abomination of desolation. And uh, I'm going to talk to you about it and show you some things in the Bible 
that will really open your eyes to where we are today and where they were back then and how all that has to do with us and the coming of the Lord. Let me move on here. I don't won't have my time's running out here a little bit. Uh, the next one here I've got mentioned here, and those Jews, they did leave. All that Christian church left Jerusalem prior to 70 A.D. when the Romans came in and just destroyed the temple and the city and killed, killed over a million, a million, a hundred thousand Jews. They literally killed them and, and took many of them down into Egypt and sold them as slaves, and they sent them out all, all over the then-known world, Roman Empire. And everything. And this is what Jesus had prophesied. That's why he wept over Jerusalem. Jerusalem, I would it thou. You know, I could have gathered thee unto me like a mother hen did her chick, but you would not. You would not. You knew not the day of your visitation. Disaster is coming. You don't even know it. And this is what Jesus was telling them. And it happened. But he told the Christians, when you see certain things happen, then know that it's time to get out of Jerusalem. And they did. They went to a city called Pella, which is across the Jordan River, further north. Across from Galilee, over in what today, today is the country of, of, of uh, Jordan. And so they went to the city of Pella, and they, Christian, no Christians died there. And when the Romans came in, no Christians were left there. They were all the Jewish Christians that already left. Let me move on here, verse number B. The fleeing of the Christians from Pompeii in 79. I, have, I was in ancient Pompeii several years ago. Or I can't remember now, but 20, maybe 10, 12, 15, I can't remember. But I was in Pom the old city, ranch city of Pompeii. And our guide said to us, we know from evidence in the ruins of this city that there were Christians who lived here. Well, that city was destroyed in 79 A.D. by Mount Vesuvius, that, you know, volcano mountain that blew and all the ashes came over and killed everybody in the city, destroyed the whole city and covered it. And it stayed under, it stayed under covers for uh, 1,900 years and was ac excavated, what, about 100 years ago or so. But uh, when they excavated it, they found people that were just like they were eating dinner or they were running down the street and they were like frozen. They were fried like that and covered with ashes and everything. And I won't get into detail on it, but this was all there. It's all... You know, everybody knows it. But they found other evidences there about what kind of place it was. It was a city given over to homosexuality, incidentally, if you, in case you want to know that. Very much so. And uh, they have evidence of all that. And they also have evidence that there were Christians who lived there. There were Christian, Christian church there. But they said no Christians perished in Pompeii from Mount Vesuvius. Mount Vesuvius. And so we don't know why, but somehow or another, the Lord said, it's time for you to get out. So let me just say this, folks. Walk with God. Stay close to the Lord, and God will keep his hand on his people. Trust me, he will. Praise the Lord. He will. The Word says it. I could show you. I could give you a whole page of scriptures where the Lord promises that he'll always look after his people, and he'll protect us from things like that that are coming. Uh, one other illustration I want to give you here. This is Pompeii in 79 A.D. Also, this is one that happened recently in our, in our recent time, December 2004, when the tsunami hit over in, in Asia there. Uh, Sri Lanka was one of the countries in Indonesia. And uh, 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 what's the other country there? I forgot the other name of the country. But anyhow, the... the, the uh, 
the tidal wave that hit. We call it tidal wave, tsunami, tsunami. And uh, that tsunami hit, and the, uh, the irony of it, it happened in December. I've mentioned this to you before. And we have had men that were Christians who lived in that country that told us personally about it, personally about it. And they said the Christians in December have to go up in the mountains to worship and to celebrate Christmas because the Muslims down in the lower land will not allow them to celebrate Christmas among them. So the Christians all go up in the mountains. So when the tsunami hit, all the Christians had gone up into the mountains to celebrate Christmas. And when the tsunami came in, all the people that died, it was what, 200,000 people that perished. They were all Muslims. There were no Christians among them. And I've, we've had Christians. I've, I've been on a cruise ship. And the people who were working on there were some of these Indonesian people. And I even have gone to their worship services, their Christian church services, which they have like 2 o'clock in the morning. And uh, some of you may have done the same thing. But I've gone to them and been in service with them and everything and worship. And they've witnessed and testified to us. We saw that personally. It really happened that way. You didn't see it on the news. You didn't read, you didn't read about it in, the, in, in, in the Time magazine or nothing. But these people would tell you about it. They said it really happened. And they can say it was a miracle how God did it. So I'm just trying to tell you here today, God knows how to take care of his own. Praise the Lord. And I'm going to finish, finish this up very quickly here. Um, I'm going to jump to verse number five very quickly here. Number five, there are Gentile martyrs who are saved out of the tribulation in Martyrs 6, 6 and 7. But these are not the church because these are all described as slain in Revelation 6 and 11. The fulfillment of verse 11 is found in Revelation 7, 9, and 15, and are all tribulation martyrs, tribulation martyrs. This is not the church. The church is made up of the dead in Christ and we which are alive and remain. And so when you look over in Revelations, that is in chapters 6 and 7, uh, you're looking at people who are all slain, and these are people who will be killed for the word of God and the love of God, and the testimony which they hold after the rapture has taken place. And uh, uh, let me go to verse number six here. I'm finishing up here real quickly. It says the word church does not appear anymore in the book of Revelation until the very end of the book of Revelation. It, the last place it, it appears in Revelation is chapter four, verse one, the church. And then finally, verse seven, the early church looked for the soon coming of the Lord to be the next major spiritual event. That's what we're talking about. And the verses down below that are all the verses that we've already talked about given to you. Since this event has not yet happened, our expedition of the Lord's coming for his church must remain first and foremost as the next major event to take place, Christian event take place. Everybody say praise the Lord. Aren't you glad you know the Lord? Let's stand together and give him the praise and the glory. God love you. You're a great audience, and what a great time we are having in the services here today. Let's lift our hands and worship God, and let's praise him. Amen.